1: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to a special edition of Popcorn and Compliance. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative and I are huge MCU fans, so we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right, we're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over this series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you will enjoy... In this episode, we take up the often overlooked Iron Man 3 and dissect it for you. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Myself and Megan Doherty are back with a new challenge. We're going to review the entire MCU on popcorn and compliance. Why? Well, because it's there, and we are both MCU uber-geek fans, and we wanted to do a podcast for those people who are like us. If you are like us and you want to be a guest on uh, MCU on Popcorn and Compliance, please let us know and join the fun. We are reviewing the films as they appear in chronological order, not the MCU timeline, uh, or rather not by release date. So today we have Iron Man 3. And I am Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network and the voice of compliance.
0: And I'm Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative and host of the recently released business podcast Blueprint Show. So Tom, what were your general impressions of Iron Man 3? Oh, yes.
1: So Iron Man 3 uh, takes place after New York. So we've had uh, the first Avengers, obviously, which we've reviewed And in re-watching this, Megan, I guess the first thing that struck me is I forgot how much um, New York impacted and affected Tony Stark. A lot of the show, maybe the first half or even a little bit more, was really about him dealing with the fallout from New York. PTSD, um, he is staying awake for literally days at a time. He's pushing pepper pots away. In a way, he has not done before in any of the other shows. Clearly, some, something is wrong. Uh, he is either uh, too arrogant or um, uh, not trusting enough, but for some reason, he he won't get help and he can't get help. And he, this leads to really a catastrophic event, which is the destruction of his um, home on the Pacific Coast Highway In California through his own arrogance. But the PTSD uh, really extends much beyond this catastrophic event. Uh, We see uh, he built uh, multiple new Iron Man suits. He uh, challenges someone called the assassin uh, to find him and track him down, which leads to the destruction of his home. Uh, In a flashback scene, we see uh, what he was like pre-Iron Man, and we, we are reminded of just uh, what an overall jerk he was um, when he had yet another one-night stand on the, <laughs> on the New Year's, a very memorable one, on a New Year's Eve uh, many years ago, and um, the, really leading to um, the start of his comeback and the start of his dealing with the PTSD uh, comes from uh, a young boy in Tennessee. So maybe uh, you might give us some of your thoughts about, up, at least up until that point, uh, how did you feel? What did you see? Anything new and different on this re-watching for you?
0: Definitely. Well, I thought the, the panic attacks was really interesting. I think that's something lovely about a lot of the movies uh, in the MCU is they don't shy away from dealing with mental health. Um, and, I mean, you know, how really could someone go through the events of his last two movies, and then the Avengers, uh, and not have some level of PTSD. Um, so, you know, addressing that head-on, I think, was uh, a really good move. And then uh, letting him kind of try to work through that by creating all these different versions of the suit to deal with every possible problem that might come up, you know, to try and you know protect himself, which I don't think he really feels like he can do. I mean, he is Iron Man, but Iron Man is also the suit. There's a real connection between... His abilities and what he feels he can build and having that armor around himself. And of course being able to protect Pepper because um, now that he's identified the most important thing, um, it must feel really terrifying because he's never had that before. Um, so I thought it was a really great way to give us a, a look at kind of the, the inside of Tony Stark uh, and just how what he's feeling is affecting what he's creating uh, in the outer world. And it never hurts to remind us what a jerk he was back in the 90s. <laughs>
1: So what did you, <laughs> it really was, um, the, uh, I was a little disheartened by the way, um, he pushed pepper pots away. And although, uh, it really was, uh, and it was because of his PTSD, because it was untreated PTSD, but I see, have seen that in many other situations, mm-hmm. generally around substance abuse whether that substance be alcohol, whether that substance be drugs, but there's something that pushes a loved one away. And and I thought that was uh, a little bit painful and, and very touching uh, because you clearly see how much Pepper loves him and uh, how much it hurt the way he was treating her. Um, maybe let's move now to uh, through a, a habit stance of events. They get to a small town in Tennessee and uh, that in many ways Is that, that- this is the heart of the movie, I thought, uh, because he meets a young boy uh, who is um, uh, whose father has left. Uh, he's being raised by a single mom who works two or three jobs, and he's basically a latchkey <laughs> kid, if that term still exists. And latch as a but as a latchkey kid, he is extremely smart and has built a, a uber scientific laboratory in his barn. And the relationship, we begin to see Tony um, not simply worry about protecting Pepper, but uh, build a relationship with this younger boy. I guess he would be a, I can't tell if he's a young teenager or older teenager, but he's clearly a teenager. He's being bullied. And um, Stark (laughs) gives him some, some pretty decent life advice, uh, although it's wrapped around some pretty arrogant uh, and unthoughtful comments. What did you think of that part of the movie? And, and am I just being a boy as to why it impacted me, or does it resonate with you as well?
0: No, I, I got it. I think um, uh, Tony, deep down, he, he wants someone to love, right? And uh, he doesn't like that about himself. I don't think he's comfortable with that about himself. Um, but I, I love the way he treats uh, the kid. Um, You know, like kind of a a condescending adult, um, but also as a, you know, serious other human who can help with the serious problem. Um, And I I think that that was a really fun way of of interacting. Um, And I mean, the kid was adorable. Uh, Neither of them took each other's uh, crap, basically. Uh, They were pretty hard on each other. um, But I, I thought it was a really sweet relationship. And I thought the way especially that the kid was able to talk him down from a panic attack or two. Um was a really nice kind of demonstration of you know when you are vulnerable a little bit with another person that can make a really big difference.
1: We also saw a medical experiment, if I can use that term, really gone awry, and that was with the treatment extremists to help repair mm-hmm. uh injured soldiers and get them back in productive members of society and <clears throat> they became human bombs. And there was a, uh, you know, we've seen this kind of throughout the MCU. Obviously, the best example is is Incredible Hulk. Um, but even Spider-Man came about because of a medical experiment gone awry, although there was a spider bite. Uh, so here we have human weapons being created. And at the end of the movie, uh, Pepper Potts is injected with this formula, which may kill her unless Tony can come and save the day. So, um uh, you know, we've got the mad scientist thing going on uh, as well. Uh, but I have to say, for me, the heart of the movie was really Tennessee, and, and he starts to make the comeback. But then, of course, after you make your comeback in a movie, you have to go confront the bad guy. <laughs> and so we're off to Miami uh, to meet the assassin. Uh, who turns out to be just a, a delicious character. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, the, the, Mandarin, uh, the Mandarin reveal.
1: The Mandarin reveal, I'm sorry. And uh, that's uh, since we have uh, full spoiler alerts, it's Ben Kingsley, who is just uh, playing a role as far as he knows. He doesn't understand. He's leading a worldwide terrorist uh, network. And as far as he knows, he's uh, got two girls with him, and, and he's a happy drunk camper. It turns out there's a little bit more to his role than than he realized. But I thought Ben Kingsley was just great as the Mandarin. What were your thoughts on the Mandarin?
0: Well, I thought he was um, fabulous, and and I mean, I don't think a completely uh, you know unwilling uh, dupe. I think he did he did you know shoot someone on live TV. Uh, so even in character, that's that's pushing it a little. Um, but it was hilarious, and I thought it was a really interesting uh, way of of. You know the the outward facing look of this terrorist boogeyman. Uh, you know is exactly what is the most terrifying thing for, you know, uh, people in governments looking at you know the threats that exist elsewhere in the world. Um, but like most uh, threats that exist out where in the world, um, ultimately the bad guy pulling the strings is a rich guy in a suit. Uh, so I thought that was a really good way of doing it, um, and, and the character was just hilarious.
1: So we get to the. Uh kind of in final scene where he has to confront the bad guy and um, save, save the girl, save Pepper. Um, and when I first saw this movie, it really, I didn't like it and it didn't resonate with me, uh, Megan, because the final scene is, is really on top of a, I think it's a tanker, uh, but it's, it's a, a vessel and a lot of the fighting is um, flying around in the air. People are hung from the rafters, literally of uh, above this platform that the ship is under. And uh, it seemed to me that it was very contrived. But when I rewatched it, it seemed I, I felt it was much more integrated into the overall storyline. One, because Iron Man does a lot of his best work in the air uh, mm-hmm. since since he can fly. We have um, um, several Iron Man suits show up, uh, which provides some backup and support for Tony. We have uh, Colonel Rhodes uh, shows up, and uh, he helps uh, Tony as, as Iron Man as well. Mm-hmm. He is... he. Colonel Rhodes, I should say, used to be War Machine, but he's been rebranded in uh, content marketing as the Iron Patriot. And uh, that was cool. Yeah, it was cool. And he has a pretty cool Iron Man suit while he's at it. Um, So that that was cool as well. And uh, I enjoyed the, um, I guess it was, it seemed like it was 15 minutes, the final fight scene. Uh, I don't know if that's right or not, but it went on quite a long time. And we had Jarvis making an appearance Mm -hmm. to remotely control uh, air support for Tony. We had the president of the United States kidnapped, uh, Air Force One attacked. Um, So obviously lots of action going on. And then in the um, sort of ultimate uh, scene um, uh, with Pepper, she is saved and – Because she's had extremist powers, it allows her to survive a catastrophic fall, Uh, but uh, Tony is able to uh, stabilize the effects. So what were kind of your thoughts around uh, this very long, entailed fight scene and ending? We're going to take a quick break after this message from our sponsor.
0: I thought it was great, and they they did a they they wrapped up a lot of points that I I, I always appreciate that uh, in a film. I don't I don't like hanging endings, yeah. um, but especially well. So there's the bit with Pepper and kind of when the I guess I thought it was an oil rig. Uh, things are starting to fall apart with the the suit army fighting all of the extremist super soldiers above, and uh, Pe- Tony is trying so hard to catch Pepper because this is, this is what he's feared the most. Right, is losing her. This is kind of the, his his motive for the entire movie is protecting her and making sure she's safe and he tries to catch her and he says I'm going to catch you and he drops her and she falls what looks like to her death well the worst absolutely happened and I think the worst had to happen for Tony to be able to you know go on and do anything else and, and the other thing I thought was really interesting about all of the suits that he had spent all of this time in the past making trying to prevent that one horrible thing that just happened um you know for a lot of this movie uh, Tony was was without a full suit. The suit was broken. The suit wasn't working. He was kind of wearing his MacGyver suit from Tennessee. Um, but after the worst happened, he got to p- pull together the full force of all of his suits um, that hadn't prevented that terrible thing. And then at the end, it even wasn't him who really saved the day and finished the fight. It was Pepper coming back and just clocking the bad guy in an extremely satisfying fashion. And I think that that, you know, the worst happened. They survived it. And then they were able to go back to normal, and Tony was able to have the surgery and get the 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 electromagnet taken out, and Pepper was returned back to to a human, uh, and now they can really like start a proper life together. Um, so I I really liked it. Um, and the explosions and fight scenes were fantastic.
1: What did you think of the two major <clears throat> villains? Uh, we talked about the Mandarin, and uh, I guess we would have to call him a villain, although he he was more of a clown. In many ways, but we had Guy Pierce as Aldrich Killian and we had Rebecca Hall as Maya Hansen. And I bring them both up together, Megan, because in researching for this podcast, Rebecca Hall said that she signed on to this movie in part because uh, her role as a villain was going to be much more substantial. And uh, what it ended up being was she was clearly a villain, but she was a secondary character to Aldrich Killian. Uh, I really like Rebecca Hall as an actress, and I I wish she could have been sort of the primary villain in this. I thought it would have been a really interesting dynamic. Uh, She was the person he had the one-night stand with, and she shows up uh, at his home immediately before their attack to warn him, and uh, I think the first thing out of his mouth is, is there a 12-year-old in the car waiting to meet me? Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> a, uh, a cliched remark that many guys, uh, I think, would resonate with many boys and men, but she was not the primary villain. Guy Pierce was, and I thought he did uh, a really good job. But what were maybe your thoughts on Guy Pierce as Adrian uh, Aldrich Killian, rather, and then um, Rebecca Hall' role as Maya Hansen?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it would have been more interesting for um, Maya to be the main the main bad guy. Um, if only because you don't get to see that really enough. And I think you know, Killian was great. He was a proto-bad guy, extremely hateable, um, not at all relatable even though yeah, you know, he was relatable at the beginning when we first saw him I and mean, he was kind of this nerdy guy who wanted to work with Tony Stark. And when he comes back all, all um, I guess, hunked out, uh, you, know, you, you can tell pretty clearly immediately that he was going to be, be the evil guy. One thing I thought was really particularly interesting about um, Mai's character was uh, the comparison she made to Werner von Braun, mm. uh, who developed the uh, you know the nuclear weapons, um, and you know his original dreams were so noble. Uh, and I thought you know exploring that a little more and making a more understandable or nuanced villain could have been could have been a really nice direction um, to go in, even though you know ultimately, of course, you can't support what that man did uh, or why.
1: Right. So, of course, we had our um, Stan Lee cameo, but we had another cameo in this. (laughs) And it may have really extended to more than a cameo because John Favreau, uh, kind of the director and uh, executive producer through many of these MCU series, and he also plays the role as Tony's uh, chauffeur or um, bodyguard or Security Happy. Uh, Has a much uh, bigger, or has a role in this. And it seemed like uh, he was, he, he played it for comic relief, in my opinion, but it seemed like he was in on the joke. And he seemed like he was having fun. Oh, yeah. and He was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he plays the head of security for Stark Industries. And at one point he goes around and, and checks everybody's badge. <laughs> and
0: um, that's complaints are up 300 percent you're welcome
1: <laughs> yeah uh, so that was that that was kind of interesting as well and and uh, maybe let's turn to some of the cookies or, or other things that mm-hmm. you saw uh, I'll start off because um, I was pretty stunned in this uh, we talked about the earlier scene where he meets um, Maya um, back in uh, and I think it's 1999, New Year's Eve, and they do some dancing, and there's just a couple of moves Tony does, but they came straight out of Pulp Fiction, and <laughs> so I love the um, uh, anything that refers to Pulp Fiction, I have to uh, to shout out to. But uh, what were a couple of two or three of the uh, your favorite cookies, Megan?
0: Oh, well, my uh, mine was a similar one, kind of right at the beginning, and this wasn't because of uh, a pop culture or but that song at the beginning, the I'm Blue. Uh, That blasted me right back to 1999 at a middle school much music video dance party, uh, chaperoned by nuns, uh, with all the awkwardness you can imagine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you had that in your background. We're going to have to explore that at length. I
0: I went to Catholic school until grade 10. So Um, so that was uh, just a blast from the past uh, with (laughs) that song there. Uh, and a couple of other things I noticed were um, there's more parts that I just thought were really um, funny or well done. The little exchange between um, Rhodey and Tony Stark when he's trying to, you know, hack his password and get into, uh, get, get control of things was a great moment.
1: That really was good as well.
0: Uh, that was good. And I really enjoyed um, after Pepper just absolutely knocks out and, and destroys Killian. She's just like, that, that was really violent. I don't care for this at all. Oh, it was great. And then um, happy being obsessed with Downton Abbey uh, whilst in recovery. It was very, very
1: good. Megan, once again, uh, with this movie, uh, as with several of the other movies that we've reviewed in the MCU series on popcorn and compliance, I really enjoyed it more on this viewing than I did in the original um, time I saw it. Uh, but there was one thing that uh, part of the movie that I still really either didn't understand, I had a question about, it and I wanted to pose to you, and that's the end scene, meaning after the movie, not the end scene of the movie, but the final after the final credits, and. Uh, we usually get a, a hint or a foreshadowing or something very cool in one of these, and we'll talk about something very cool when we talk about Thor Dark World in our next podcast. But in this one, uh, it's Tony telling his story, and it turns out the whole movie is Tony narrating a story to uh, Dr. Bruce Banner. Uh, not as Incredible Hulk, but as Bruce Banner. And, of course, Mark Ruffalo plays that character. And uh, it, it, in the credits, after the credits, uh, Dr. Benner wakes up and he's missed the entire story. Um, and, you know, whether or not therapists sleep through your presentations <laughs> or your recitations is probably a topic for another pod. But what, what did you see as the reason for that? Or did that foreshadow <laughs> something to you? Or how did you view that? Maybe at the time, and, and how do you view it now?
0: Well, oh, at the at the time, it didn't really register as anything other than kind of hilarious. Um, like one of my first viewing, um, just that you know, Bruce Banner has no interest in listening to Tony go on and on and on about himself, just just none whatsoever. But you know, I'm, I'm watching a little more and kind of trying to watch the movies with a bit more of an analytical eye. Um, well, I think it's a really great sign that that Tony can talk about everything so clearly and with such great self awareness. Um, and he's talking to the guy who, yes, is a doctor, even if the wrong kind of doctor, but who had previously saved his life. Um, you know, because the the Hulk saved Tony and Avengers. Um, so I thought that was pretty appropriate, ultimately.
1: That brings us to the end of this episode. And I hope our listeners will join us again for our next episode of Popcorn and Compliance, the MCU series, where we take up Thor Dark World.
0: Fantastic. Thank you again. And uh, see you next time, everybody.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, the MCU series. Hope you will join Megan and I again for our next episode where we take up the Avengers. Also, I'd like to tell you about a special podcast series that recently premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network, Trial of the Century, the Enron Trial, where with business journalist Lauren Steffi, who covered the Enron Trial, we take a look at the trial have been run as opposed to the bankruptcy. I know you'll enjoy it if you like fraud, if you like trials, or just like a good story. Check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.